you remember a few <sighs> yeah. episodes ago I spoke about the fact that I had developed this strange fixation on Harry Styles? Are you right there with your phone? Are you good to? My child is asking me if I can give her a ride somewhere, despite the fact that I've clearly briefed her as to where I am. Listeners. Do you mind if I just uh, go and pick up my kid and take her? I could probably just get the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Remember when I said that I was obsessed with Harry Styles and that it just developed out of? Well, I downloaded his album when it came out, and then I just got obsessed with watching clips everyone was posting from his concerts. Ever since I mentioned that. My social media has mm. been full of people writing to me going, Dear Lee, I'm a 76-year-old woman and I've also got this strange Harry Styles <laughs> He, it is, it's a, it's a like diagnosable condition. Wow. People, Do you think he's maybe with the CIA or something? I don't know, but people just get accidentally radicalised into Harry Styles' <laughs> fandom. All it takes is you watch a couple of videos, it's like watching Tucker Carlson on Fox News, you get those like crazy eyes happening and then you just, you just believe. Are you all right? I mean, like, <laughs> are you going to be all right? I, I feel like I feel like this might be one of those things that's like the 24-hour bum flu, like that you just, like it's really full on and then the next day you're just a bit you sort of spent of and you're like. <laughs> Do you know, I was thinking about you asking me the other day if I wanted to shag Harry Styles and I, so I was t- Afterwards, I was analysing my emotions about Harry Styles and do you know what it, what it came down to? What I was thinking was, is he getting enough home-cooked meals? I want to mother him. Right. That's the emotion. I want to mother him. I want to, I, I feel like, oh, he's so lovely and he's he Eat yourself then. He seems like he's off with the pixies. I just want to look after right. him and make sure he's all right. Yeah. So it's, it's a, he, he, he. So it's even sicker than we originally thought. <laughs> Still doing that. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's young, too young. Yeah, but yeah, I I get that. Like, the common two women I respect have, you know, directly confided this to me. You and one other. I sense that part of the appeal is just looking at this guy's worldview and the fact that he is generous and respectful of his fans. He's not kind of. Sorry, just no. Don't me. say generous lover. Is that what you were going to no. say? Right. Okay. It just struck me that you said that I had confided this to you, like the use of the word confide. But I've told you on our podcast that's yep. listened to by half yep. a million people. Yeah. Well, I mean, but if you want to feel special, if you want to spill, oh my god, a special holder of my secrets. Only you could turn this into a series of insults. Like Jesus, I'm trying to understand your bonkers obsession with some. Why do I bother? Um, okay. I don't know why, do I, why do I bother? Okay. Um, one exciting bit of housekeeping and then we'll move on to some other exciting Love housekeeping. It's my favourite. We're having a Chat 10 book club on the 8th of June. It's true. We are. Details are going to be in our Facebook group mm-hmm. and we have selected the book. And yeah. the book is. And guess what? i got to say in this. Like, it, yeah, you I picked got it. I got to choose it. I had nothing to do with it. Because recently I wrote, I wrote, I wish I'd written it, I read it, um, a manuscript for a now published book um, called The Albatross by a woman called Nina One, who I've never met. Um, but. And I started reading it. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, unpublished manuscript now becomes published manuscript. Okay, here we go. And then over the course of the book, I just got completely sucked into this incredible character called Primrose Lee who um, she's got a, um, a sick husband who has cancer. She's moved into a street that turns out to be her house's opposite her childhood love, a guy called Peter, who's married to this highly glamorous woman called Louisa. And so there's this sort of like she's trying to be, look after her husband. She's sort of a bit piney for the other guy. Um, she starts playing golf 
And so the novel is a bit about golf and a little bit about – it's just she is an extraordinary sort of heroine, anti-heroine. Like it's – I can't really describe the book better than that, but it is really enthralling and just like – a very mature read. Okay, so Lisa Miller, who's hosting our online book club, has also read it yeah. and she also loved it. Great. So it's sitting on my bedside table. Yeah. So how this is going to work is we'll put some details up at some point where you register for this online um, book club on this evening, June the 8th at 8 p.m. Lisa will run it, Crab and I will be on it. Nina Wan's actually joining as well. Which oh, my God, fantastic. I'm so excited. And But we're just telling everyone what the book is so you've got like six, seven, eight weeks yeah. in order to read it if yeah. you want to participate and ask yeah. some questions or so on. So anyway, Nina Wan, The Albatross. Speaking of books, I read as soon as I left here after our last. Oh, record, I know where this is going. Yeah, straight off to download Vladimir um, on my Kindle. Yeah, by Julia May Jones absolutely loved it. Well, that is like, can I just say, big shout out to Chatter Greta, who I sat next to yes. on the flight to Melbourne, who put me onto this book, and um, also uh, I'm just going to read out because I've kept in touch with Greta because she's excellent. Um, and I was updating her as I read the book because she was like, I'm a bit nervous. Like, what if I like recommend it and you don't like it? And um, anyway, I'm just going to read your like first eight texts to me <laughs> on finishing Vladimir. You've said, one of the things I've loved about Vlad is how it's taken this turn where the woman's acting so far off how a normal person would act. The mark of a novel, shouty caps, <laughs> not a thinly veiled memoir. I want to see a film version of this with Emma Thompson. I just finished it. Fantastic. Again, shouty caps. Couldn't put it down. As for the young woman, the whole vibe reminds me of Victorian era, women having the vapours. It's a weakness and a surrendered agency I don't associate with women who are at their cause so much stronger. Anyway, so I've taken this screenshot and send it to Gretel Getter saying, How dare you? News from the sales reading bunker. She's obsessed. And she says, this has been an exceptionally smug 24 hours. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I just love like I can tell when you're really on the hook of a book where oh. I've already read it and you're lease planning it to me as you go through it. Totally. I love and it. about every two yeah. hours another lease planning. Oh, what about this? It. Yeah. Oh, it was really um very well <laughs> executed and lots of layers and yeah. Oh, and so really nuts great. as well. And I love oh. how the utterly nutterly bit, bit comes at the beginning, like, you know, that's where you like. As you pointed yeah. out, you get hooked because you're like, what the hell? How does this come about? And you're then like, why is he tied of, up? <laughs> yeah. But that's why, that's why it was so, as I said, it's like a novel because if she didn't do that, it's sort of in the, the vein of like, you yeah. know, just it still would have been good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it just, it's like. You know, um, I know I often reach for this misery by Stephen King where it's just like, come on, this is mad. You don't kidnap someone and keep them in your house. You know, it had shades of misery actually a little bit. Um, anyway, that you're was just a bit of like you're. That was really great. You often cite misery when you're talking about, I mean, I just wonder, do you want to tie someone up in your house? Like, I mean, <laughs> is that. No, but I enjoy others watching, tying people up and putting them in their own house. Okay. Um, no, I think Misery is a very fine piece of work. Um, the other thing that I read, which I think you've also already read, is Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? Mm. Well, so the cover line on the review copy was very attractive because I love Curtis, Curtis Sittenfeld. Yeah. Um, Rod and my thought like was terrific and also the one about uh, Laura Bush, American Wife. Yeah, American Wife, yeah. Yeah, I mean um, both books where when I th- heard about them I thought, how are you going to pull that off? And, you know, with the rod and one I thought, oh, is that a bit like 
can you really borrow someone's life story and fictionalize it in front of their face? Like, and then I thought, actually, it was brilliant. And I thought it, she was able to say a lot of things I suspect Hillary Rodham couldn't say, but anyway. Um, so this one, I think Curtis Sittenfeld wrote it during like lockdown. She said, I just wanted to write, you know, a, a light romantic, you know, adventure sort of thing. And that is exactly what it is. So it's, yeah. it's set basically on the set of Saturday Night Live and um, – Female writer. Female writer who, you know, they're doing this bit and every week there's a different super famous person sort of guest hosting or whatever. And there's this sort of pop singer who is, you know, intensely famous and he comes in to host and they do a few rehearsals and stuff and the two of them start hitting it off and she's like – he couldn't this possibly is, fancy he me. He couldn't possibly fancy He's me because I'm a plain Jane exactly. and I'm just a mousy kind of whatever. And then, you know, oh, my God, he does fancy her and, you know, it goes from there. I don't know. I mean, it, it was all right. Yeah, look, I it kind was, of read on. He, his character was uber two-dimensional. Um, right, no, yeah. No depth whatsoever, like way too good to be true. But it was kind of like the context that you put around it around, oh, she just wanted to write something light, yeah. light escapism in lockdown. Yeah. Fine. I mean, I read the whole thing, but I wasn't. It wasn't like Vladimir, where I was like, I just cannot put this book down. Like, That's because no one was tied up, mate. It was okay. If she just tied him up. I wanted to mention another book which I've actually been sitting on for ages because I had an advanced copy, and now it's finally out, which is *Girl in a Pink Dress* by Kylie Needham. So oh, okay, I haven't read that. It is um, about a female artist in her forties who goes um, to an exhibition of her former artist lover who Ooh. is now uber, uber famous. Ooh. So they were together and he's a little bit older than her and they right. were together when she was in her 20s right. and she's an artist as well. He's also the son of a very famous artist. And so um, it kind of it's goes in and out of time. So she's kind of rehashing their affair from years earlier and then is in the present day. Yeah. Um, it's Kylie Needham's first novel. She's married to an artist, so she knows that world right. really well. It's just a really cue everybody sitting around wanting to working out who's who. I really <laughs> liked it because I like, as you know, books that are kind of well, I like plot-driven books too, but I like books that are kind of deep on character and relationships mm. and exploration where that where it's kind of I often use the word small to describe I like small things, um, right. small things that are deep. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like it was great because it's kind of this like contained world. <laughs> it's kind of this contained world where you get this deep dive, some really beautiful um, turns of phrase and just kept me, you know, hooked along oh, going okay. through it. Yeah, so would girl, recommend? Girl, would recommend Girl in a Pink Dress, Kylie Needham. Um, Speaking about uh, do you know where we discovered that sound of yours or we first gave it a name was on stage? Yeah. And um, it was that like oh, the last great hunt, that, that Perth Theatre Company. Oh. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. I was talking and, and there's and this show of theirs oh, called yeah, Lenore that, that was like then the subject of a documentary that I really liked. Look in the show notes for details. That production's coming to Melbourne soon. And I'm oh. like, yeah. And um, the filmmaker emailed me to let me know and she's like, I realise now that this piece of theatre is now more famous for eliciting that ow sound from the sales than it is for the film. But, like, this film's still great. Anyway, the film's coming to Melbourne. I will we'll put details in the show notes. It's, I, I um, apologise that that film's now associated <laughs> with that noise and my children still periodically I'll go, oh, oh and then one of them will go, ow. Yeah, they all sound like 
flock of emperor penguins. Do you know, um, I had the strangest um, experience the other day. You know Rachel Cusk, who we both like? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, yes, right. I do remember her. <laughs> so Obsessed. You, yep. I'm reading Transit at the moment. Oh. Oh. <laughs> sorry. Oh. Um, have you only just read it? I mean, you're only just reading it. Do you know the strangest thing? I keep, because I'm reading it on my Kindle, I keep coming across my electronic bookmarks, so I clearly have read it before, and I have absolutely zero recollection of ever That's because it was recommended to you as part of that book therapy yes, lady. Yes, but, but why don't I remember, why is that just not a single thing true? Because you got mind? obsessed with man's search for meaning instead is what is the answer <laughs> to that question, basically. <laughs> am I right or am I right? I went off on it. You went I, off on that. I so, don't know. Poor old Cusky. Yeah. You just kicked it to the curb. It's, it's good though, weird. isn't it? It, it is good, yeah. Um, it's kind of. Do you remember I interviewed her? It's kind of, oh. I don't know, it's a bit, maybe, you know, with reading you've got to be in the right wherever you're, yep. you are. Yeah. It's maybe a bit dense and not, even though I just said I like things that aren't plot driven all the time, I'm needing a bit more plot. It's kind of moving oh, around all over the place. Yeah, it's like a series of portraits. Not really connected portraits. Yeah, yeah. but but they're, they're so kind of carefully because it seems random as you're reading it and you think well this has no structure and then when you kind of like pull out a bit you realize it actually has a super careful structure but it's not a plot structure in the same way um that novels normally are yeah it's kind of an episodic thing that gives you like little flashes of insight so by the end you go oh right yeah um right. and i think as uh, I discussed at length with uh, Rachel Cusk in my interview at the <laughs> Sydney Writers Festival with her, before which I was absolutely shitting myself. Remember I had that nightmare. Did I tell you about my dream that I had? You um, did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where I was at a writers' festival. This is my panic dream before interviewing Rachel Cusk was that I was at a writers' festival and I was really busting for the loo and I couldn't find a toilet and I was running around and, like, you know, busting into toilets and they were occupied and at one point I um I went crashing into this really grubby old loo and Jeffrey Eugenides was in there, like, <laughs> doing a poo or something so I couldn't go in there and the whole dream ended up with me weeing in a jar on a oh. Sydney writers' festival oh. transit bus. This has just reminded me I had an anxiety dream last night where I had the lead for Australian Story written and Lisa McGregor, who's our producer, was changing it. And then I came up and was like, but I've got to go into the studio right now. You can't change it right now. Um, and then I was like, you've got to get the old version back. And then she was like, oh, no, that's been deleted. I'm like, but, but. And then I'm trying to like write it and I couldn't write it and then I just woke up. Like, <gasps> and it's kind of weird because I haven't been having many anxiety dreams because of now that the Also, pressures... this is a pre-record. I mean, like you're it's having so a weird, 7.30 yeah. panic dream about Australian story. Yeah, exactly. Because I haven't on. been having the like much anxiety dreams now that I'm not on news deadlines. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where that came Try from. Try weighing in a jar on a bus. <laughs> very relaxing very anyway strange. but the interesting part of that conversation was for me talking about her shifting be between genres because early in her career she wrote fiction and then she felt in the end almost embarrassed by fiction like she said like I just feel like it's the most pointless thing in the world to get like to invent Jane and John and have them do things to each oh, wow. other for 350 pages and so that's when she started writing memoir so she wrote that one about her own divorce oh yeah um, oh yeah. yeah yeah and the one about having a baby oh yeah I've read um, both them, yeah. yeah both of which were highly controversial mm. because she was just like, you mm. know, because of her like reservations about um, motherhood, like mm. it, um, she became this sort of bete yeah. noir, you know, and so taboo to write a book about like the things about motherhood that, you know, yeah. kind of 
completely suffocate you and so on. And same with the um, same with the divorce one. Um, so then she said she sort of felt like she couldn't write memoir because she always got into trouble, but she didn't really want to write fiction. So in the end, like this sort of form of the trilogy um, is this kind of halfway house where mm. they're like episodic kind of fictionalised reproductions of things that may or may not have happened in her life. Like it's just a sort of almost like a third form. Yeah, it's a really, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Like I've been thinking about writing a non-fiction book and then I was thinking about maybe I should fictionalise it, turn into fiction. But then I feel like it's less powerful if it's fictionalised because then Why? you can't mm. be certain if it's true. Yeah. Um, whereas when something's true, it's like, oh, my God, wow, that really happened? Yeah, That's but also, but, but, but like identifying patterns, like sometimes fictional books are able to contain logical sequences and arguments that actually are able to be more convincing or than multiple, non-fiction. multiple viewpoints. Yeah. So you can look at something that's, right, yeah. something that's got a lot of complexity, you yeah. can come at it from multiple um, viewpoints. Yeah. yeah, it's really kind of And also you don't have to get people to talk to you. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. What about um, have you been watching anything on TV? Oh, okay, I've got two things to tell you about that yeah. I'm absolutely just mad for. <laughs> yeah. So... I've been watching Beef, which we I mentioned oh, yeah. briefly. This isn't one of the two things, actually. It's terrific and I'm really enjoying it. It's funny and it's yeah, I'm about sort to of vicious that. and, you know, like dark. It's great. I really am enjoying it. But the thing that I've been really hoovering up um, in the last couple of weeks, um, apart from World Mania, which I got straight on to oh, yeah. straight away and smashed all the way through it and loved it, um, hard recommend, um, and also – Big congratulations to Bridget Delaney who wrote that and is now experiencing being number one on Netflix around the and world, which is like Benjamin Law, who was writer, right? On TV. Yeah, yeah. I've started watching something that is years old, and I sat in the 2018 Actor Awards and watched it clean up everything, and I still didn't watch it. I think because, and I'm talking about the series Mr. In Between, um, and I think I didn't watch it right away because it just doesn't like push any of my buttons. It's about um, a hitman. It doesn't look like it passes the Bechdel test very well. It's just like all these guys, you know, rousing on each other, you know, taking out hits on each other, sort of drug underworld kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really my sort of thing. Jeremy watched all three series. He's like, mate, you have to watch this. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, all right. So, and they're only 22-minute episodes, right? And I started watching it and I've nearly finished all three series because I just, it is incredible. Like it's an amazing piece of television. And I say that, you know, because uh, like with some surprise because it's still not my bag. I don't love, you know, I mean crime dramas, (sighs) you know, whatever. They all feel a bit dime a dozen. This thing is just ridiculously good. Is this the so, Nash Edgerton one? Yes, that's yeah, right, okay. yeah. So um, it's written and directed and starred in. Well, no, not directed. Nash Edgerton directs it. Basically the, the the person, you know, behind it is this guy called Scott Ryan who um, if you go and look at him on IMDb, there's two things. He made a film 15 years ago called The Magician, which I'd never heard of, but also is basically a similar to this character. So this is a character that he's been writing and developing and performing now for decades and he finally got this series made 
And when it was commissioned, he was driving a taxi in in Echuca. Like he was like. Wow. And now it is like an international smash hit and it's been like he's picked up some flash agent or whatever. There was a um, profile of Scott Ryan, um, which was really good in the Herald in January or February this year, just outlining how bizarre the story is of this guy because as an actor he is incredibly complex so he's a hitman he um did a tour of duty in the army and um he got really good at killing people and now he does it as a job um and he's got this really weird moral code He's got a hair trigger. He's highly violent in situations, but he's also incredibly gentle with his daughter, who is played across all three seasons by this unbelievable child actor. Like, so her name's Chika Yasamura. Um, she plays his daughter Brittany. He's split from Brittany's mum, and so there's this incredible. Even in each short episode, which each ten seem to contain this intensity of drama and action, um, he will kind of he will like switch between pounding somebody's head into the pavement and then picking up Brittany and like Mm. taking her to a birthday party and, you know, and he's got this incredible sense of humour and this great sneaky smile that with his daughter is beautiful and when he smiles at someone he's about to murder, it's terrifying. Is it a comedy or a drama? Uh, It's a drama but it's also – so he's got this um, mate called Gary. He's also got a terminally, terminally ill brother who he looks after. He's got a mate called Gary um, who he gets involved, you know, to come and stake out and help him out while he's whacking somebody Gary's or whatever. Gary's such a perfect name for oh, a mate, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And Gary is just an absolute idiot and a shambles. So, <laughs> And he's married this Russian woman who, like, they're on the rocks. There's all sorts of debacles. Damon Herriman's also in it as oh, yeah. a local club owner who's just got his, like, he's just deep into all of these terrible pies, you know, like there's a lot of action around him and he's perfection. Um, but uh, Gary is played by Justin uh, Rosniak um, and he's just the perfect idiot Aussie mate. <laughs> and they have these incredibly ridiculous conversations while they're like, you know, staking out, like they're just complete alien conversations that really um, – I don't know. It, the whole thing is so genuine. Like, and I don't even know what a genuine hitman sounds like, but like, <laughs> but, but just the sort of, I don't know. It is um, just some of the best writing for television that I've ever well, seen. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. have seen that around, but I haven't been yeah. able to watch it, but that's really oh, made me want to watch it. Really? What's it on? Um, what, what streaming service? Mate, it's on binge. So you're going to oh, have to like, yeah. God. But I think it was on Stan originally, so maybe poke around. I've oh. <laughs> got binge, so I've watched on binge. But okay. like um, the other thing that is really great about the series is Brooke Satchwell, who is oh, yeah. um, oh, that's right. his should. love interest. Yeah. And it's really complicated because she is really drawn to his humour and his kindness and his gentleness around his daughter. But she's very frightened by, you know, the instances where, you know, they'll be queuing up for something and somebody will push in and he will like really arc up. So there's that kind of just violence and volatility just below the surface where you can tell she's just kind of like there's so much about you that I really like but then there's this sort of dark bit that I don't quite understand and, yeah, anyway, it's – 
terrific. You saying the guy was driving a cab in a chuka reminds me of something I watched, which I'll get to why that reminds me of in a yeah. sec, but it was a sports doco, surprise, um, called it's in a series on Netflix called Untold Stories and it's called uh, The Race of the Century and it's when Australia won the America's Cup in 1983. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's so Ooh, good. Oh, I remember that. Mm. It's so good. It opens with John Bertrand. Firstly, I really liked it stylistically. They made some choices that you don't normally make in, in mm. um, documentary filmmaking, like sitting people behind desks, which you normally would think, oh, that's odd, you're putting a barrier between them and the audience. But a lot of them are seated huh. behind desks. Um, so John Bertrand does a wide shot head on. Maybe it's just more desk. comfortable for people who are used to being on boats. <laughs> it's like, put them behind something a bit boaty. <laughs> it did add to the boaty sense because there's a lot of wood, right? So it feels boaty. Get wood. And, and then there's a um, side a profile shot in close-up. Anyway, it starts with John Bertrand saying something like, for anyone to get to the elite levels of sport, you have to have something wrong with you has to be something wrong with you because the only Ooh. way that you can have the dedication and the the focus and the attention to detail and sacrificing everything else in your life is because if you are screwed up in the head and I am screwed up in the head and it goes from there, that's the opening. Wow. So it's so compelling. John Bertrand is riveting and so how is he screwed up in the head just because you've got to be so focused and you've got to like enjoy pushing through pain oh, and you've not got to drop on the head as no 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 it's just the personality type that makes What's you that want politics, to do right? something over and over again any anything that really yeah. you're kind of elite at so he so then it tells the story of the history of the new york yacht club and how they'd had the cup for 185 years yeah. and how you know, and it, it, the thing that was stunning to me was because I think I was um, ten when Australia won that, and I remember really distinctly. I remember getting it. Up and watching it on TV. Yep, yep. Um, we got up and watched the last few finals, like, and I still remember how hard it was to see what the boats were doing. Like yeah, there was a lot of reflected hard. light off the water and you're like, what's and, going and on And when you're looking at it from the chopper shot, yeah. um, you're like, well, I can't tell yeah. what's going on. But, um, but I remember when Australia crossed the line and you could hear the whole neighbourhood yeah. like completely lose yeah. their minds. Um, you ever watched that yacht race ever since? No. Like, no who's no, won it for the last no, 10 years? No, <laughs> like, so no strange. idea. Um, Got no dog in this fight. So they go through. The thing that stunned me was, even though I was 10 years old, was like, you know, they show the shots of the Americans. Like, oh, there's Dennis Connor, the, the skipper of the American boat. Like yeah. I remembered everyone's yeah. name yep. in the whole yep. thing. Ben Lexon, the winged keel. The, the whole <laughs> story. Um, and so they talk through, you know, what was going on. There's, of course, all the amazing archive. Um, but the thing that... So, so John Bertrand really is just so superb. He carries it. It also includes the final interview ever filmed with Bob Hawke. Um, oh, wow. Anyway, they Dennis Connor is interviewed in it and, oh, man, like as a child obviously and you're just rooting for Australia, you don't think about it, but the New York Yacht Club is full of these captains of industry, wealthy, uber wealthy white mm. dudes who have got this sense of identity and pride in that their yacht club has had this cup for 185 God, years. The boat shoe brigade. And so there's this um, scene where they've gotten America, the American boat is like going really great and then um, and then the Australians creep back and they win a few races in a row and then it's three all and so there's one race left that's the decider and there's this incredible shot where this white dude with a boater hat on is like has his hand on Dennis Connor's shoulder like kind of looking down at him um oh god giving him like clearly and you're just thinking mate this dude wouldn't 
have the balls to get out there and do the kind of stuff that Dennis Connor's out there doing. And he's clearly, he's like pointing at him like, you know, this is what you need to do, da, da, da. Anyway, then they um, they go to the fateful race, which Dennis Connor loses. Yeah. After having a lead at a certain point that was really significant yeah. and then he made a terrible choice and then like sort of the Australians are like, um, And so then he's obviously devastated because it's this huge kind mm. of disaster. So when, when he has to do the press conference at the end of the race, the losing press conference, not a single person from the New York Yacht Club went in with him. He did it alone. He had to do it alone. And he was like, he just said he was gutted. And then he ended up in the aftermath of that, he was a carpet salesman. That's what he was doing. And they had, the Australians were all going, Dennis Connor is a genius. Like he's actually a genius at, and even John Bertrand the way, I had no idea like the level of, he's like, I could just tell that the wind was about to do this and you look at the ripples over there and you look at this and you look at that and like, and the wind was about to do this. And so, and there's this freakish level of like ability to read the thing. So all the Australians are going, Dennis Connor's an absolute genius. And then he ends up selling carpet off the back of this utterly humiliating soul-crushing loss that he still cried about today, the memory of losing it. Oh, my God. And actually the Australians cried at the memory of winning it too. Like it was so emotional. And then um, Connor came to Perth in I think 87 and won it back. Mm. Um, but, oh, man, it was the emotion was like so raw. Wow. It was very, very good. What's it called? Untold Stories, the race that the race of the century. I've watched started watching another sports doco too that is very, very good. It's called yeah. Boom Boom. It's on Apple. Oh, Boris Becker. Awesome. So <laughs> Becker, I just I as you know, I just boom, love boom. these the great psychos. Oh I know you <laughs> Too. How have you not married a footballer? Like I just like how has that never happened? I feel like that could be in your future. Oh man, it is. I find it so interesting. So um, <laughs> Becca, Becca's in prison apparently now for tax evasion. Oh yeah. Um, and he start. I'm told that he started doing this thing and gave the access. It's one of those classics. You give the access and then things go badly yeah. wrong and you've given the access. Yeah. So he's doing this in depth interview about his career and again. The archive's just so fantastic. And the, the era of tennis, I mean, I know we're in a bit of a golden era now with Federer and Nadal and well, we were, Federer left recently, but all of that, them. But they've, they've got all these interviews with the people of that golden era of tennis, mm. um, McEnroe, Mats Volander, Bjorn Borg, mm. like it's really incredible. Mm. And so they have all the archive of these incredible matches and Becker's talking about them. And he obviously was, you know, his level of kind of superstardom was really epic um and then the documentary maker makes this fantastic point through so becca in his private life has just had a very untidy yeah. it's been tax evasion and paternity shagging issues in cupboards yeah all sorts of stuff anyway on the court there's this amazing clip of becca when he's like you know 21 22 and he's talking about he has this habit on the court of he'll let things get to like Six two five one because he likes the feeling of testing himself in the oh corner God. to come out of the corner, and so the filmmaker makes. Oh this God, that's. I mean, that would be so oh, kind of frightening as his opponent. You're like, this is going well. Uh oh, hang on, this is <laughs> <What's happening? laughs> Here comes the Black Widow. Boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. And so. The filmmakers. He I do that tennis too. Like I mean, that's quite. A <laughs> I common. do it all the yeah, time yeah. as well. Um, he gets he gets this clip of Becker as a young man, kind of admitting that he does that, and then he goes, "I can't help but think now, like in hindsight, looking at this dude as a you know almost I think sixty ish year old man in prison, in prison, 
did he actually apply that technique to life? Like it's a great technique for sport if you can execute. I'm just going to get a bit arrested and then see if I can come back from <laughs> Yeah, there. Oh, I'm going to just take no, like I can't. it's risk-taking, it's risk-taking <laughs> behaviour, right, that, you're yeah. drawn, that he seems drawn to bad situations because he thinks that he can like play his way out. But oh, my God. Anyway, so it's, I mean, that psychology. Man's breathing his own fumes a bit, I think, possibly. Oh, uh, it's just very. Um, it's so have they got the prison interviews? Well, we're at the. It's very skillfully done because they. It opens with sort of court stuff, and I think it. I think it's going in. I can't remember if it's verdict or sentencing. I think it's sentencing. It opens with, but then it goes back in time to his the golden days of his career. So yeah. we're kind of going in and out of time a little bit, but in that way that um. I was talking to someone the other day about writers who can do this, and Ian McEwan's one, Philip Roth's another one. Yeah. They dance all over the place with time and you never notice that yeah. you're getting shepherded from yeah. like all over the shop because yeah. it's so that just utterly seamless. Um, and so it's a bit like that where you're with Becker at Wimbledon and then you're with Becker at the US Open and then you're with Becker at court and then you're in his present day interview and yeah. you're just not really noticing because yeah. you're completely yeah. absorbed by it. So, yeah, it's um, it's highly enjoyable as well. I know you've got to go but like I'm just going to quickly give you a little present which is that this very morning – Got up early and I watched the first episode of The Diplomat. <gasps> okay, I watched half of it last night. What? Half, half of episode one. I didn't love it. So, <gasps> it, okay, so our favourite Kerry Russell's in it. That's Oof. why I watched it because I love the Americans. Okay, so Oof. there was just a few clunky lines and it was a bit cliched like all these quaint Brits and, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. going to have to deal with this <laughs> ceremony and pomp every time. And so I felt a bit like, oh, I hope it picks up. But so Lisa Miller's watched it and loves it and she, I told her this morning I wasn't loved it, she, I didn't love it. She was like, ah, oh, what is with Listen, you? Like it's just yeah. right up your alley. Like, no, no, I know, I know what your issue is with it and I think that you're correct, right? Oh. It doesn't have the elegance and spareness of the Americans. It's more obvious, right? Uh. And that, you know, so the story is um, that, yes, our favourite lady, um, Kerry Russell. Kerry Russell has, she's a diplomat, but she's a kind of proper career diplomat, you know, yeah. and she's about to be posted to Kabul. And she's married to this guy who's also a diplomat. He's been like a Richard Holbrook um, type. Yeah, yeah, been an ambassador and, you know, so on. And he's obviously like a really very, um, you well know. Well-known. Well-known to even notorious guy who you find out he's been basically black banned from further postings because he described the Secretary of State as a war criminal. So right. that, you know. But he's obviously, you know, they have a complicated relationship. They're kind of on the point of divorce. They're separate bedrooms, but, you know, they are useful to each other. He's played by Rufus Sewell. And um, so, and the plot is completely unlikely, right? I mean, it starts with the bombing of a British ship in the Middle East, not sure who the culprit is. Um, the president calls in Kerry Russell and says, look, we don't have diplomatic representation in the UK right now. And she says, oh, I, and of course you'd want to send my husband, that's perfectly understandable. And they go, no, we want you. And then it turns out there's this weird plan to basically test her in this post and then make her the vice president. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like it's kind strange. of dumb, yeah. right? That's the point about but, which I yeah. switched off and then they got to London and I was like, oh, I'm too tired to watch on. And this yeah, is, so yeah. there's this like she turned and she's like, I don't even own a dress and they're yeah, like, you yeah. need to do this special yeah. swearing in. Yeah, thing that pissed me home. off. Yeah. However, the fuckery of the husband is what you're going to love, oh, right? great, okay. So – I was in the same place. I was actually – I made it through the first half of the episode. I'm kind of going – but I'm also like I love Carrie Russell so much yep. and she is so great. Like yep. she's really good. Yeah, I'll it. definitely watch on for And And 
And there's this guy called David Giasi who plays her deputy chief of mission um, at the in the UK who's terrific. Okay. So they are worth it. Also, about three quarters of the way through the first ep, Celia Imri appears. Oh, okay. Well, the another reason from, to yeah. yeah better things. Yeah. Well, Lisa sent me a piece from the Guardian that described episode one as turgid, and then says it gets really good. So she said, "Push on." So look, the thing that is I'm thinking is great about it is that the husband is this real wild card because he's kind of working ostensibly to help her, but then he's also pulling these strings in this really weird way, and um, he does this thing to her that is involves about four different chess moves which is kind of interesting and oh. so i think i'm like i'm very keen to watch the next episode this is conversations make me go oh i wonder how philip and elizabeth are going in russia i know what our page is going in yeah. <laughs> just She's you feel screwed, like real you know people right? yeah like, i know love. Oh, i hope they're doing all I right i don't think you'll be like this I, I don't think you'll be like this with the diplomat but i you know I'm, but it'll be I'm enjoyable. gagging to watch the next step. Before we go, I just want to quickly rattle through three quick things mm -hmm. um, just because they've been on the list forever and I want to be able to delete them. Um, one is a thing called The Night Agent, which I kind of thought I'd like because it's Washington spy-ish kind of stuff. Yawnski, oh, I watched two episodes and just went, oh, absolute, I can't absolute be bothered. And, like, um, I watched to the point where they start to, like, properly fall in love and I'm like, oh, for God's shut sake, up. shut up. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I noticed that it overtook Well Mania on the sort of, oh, you know, it? and I'm like, um, stupid I was, people. I was particularly took a set against it because my friend Pam, who was I was watching with, was calling it The Night Manager. And so I'm like, oh, oh there's a second season of The Night Manager, which was this awesome yeah, show with yeah, Hugh Laurie good. and Tom yeah, Hiddleston. Yeah. And so, and then Pam calls her, oh, no, sorry, it's The Night Agent. And so then I was oh, um, yeah. Lego Masters is back on. I'm a particular oh, fan of yeah, Lego yeah. Masters. Ooh. I love Hamish Blake. Along with Harry Styles, he is the most universally adored person that I know, so <laughs> Lego Masters is great. Um, and also me and the kids watched the film version of Matilda. Oh, terrific. It's yeah. so well done. Mm, it's mm. so, so well done. I highly recommend it. We all absolutely loved it. Also, we went to see Fantastic Mr Fox at the Sydney Theatre Company did. and my kids just were like, whoop. Triple oh, thumbs good. up. Very good use of animation, interesting yeah, set. That was yeah, yeah. Yep. I hope cool. that we're in time for it actually still to be going. Come mm, oh, well, on. Anyway, um, if we're not, just great work. shout out to our buddies at the Sydney Theatre Company. <laughs> yeah, always making great stuff. <laughs> all okay. Right. I'm off to have lunch. Because oh, that's fantastic. how I roll. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> See ya. See ya.